Hello and welcome to your second episode of Track Chat with Andrew and Beth. This week we're discussing the changes around sprint and sprint qualifying, having a quick reminder on the events of an interesting Australian Grand Prix and looking ahead to round four at the Baku City Circuit in Azerbaijan. Yep, I think there's absolutely loads to talk about this week. Not only was Australia really eventful, we've also got what should be another eventful weekend coming up with a brand new format. There's loads of points to discuss. I know, I think just reflecting a little bit on the last weekend, it was nearly a month ago now in Australia. Um, my apologies if I forget some of the finer details. It, it has been a month. You won't get that going forward since we've got something like five races on the trot. But yeah, I think that there was a lot of a lot of incidents in that last race and things that maybe weren't done correctly or that fans would have liked to have seen a bit differently. I, I don't think that race ended up as a fan favourite and one for the ages. Yeah, I agree. I think... It's disappointing because I think it could have been very good, but ultimately I don't really enjoy races that finish in that kind of procession format or where penalties are applied and the reasoning behind them isn't entirely clear or they're not applied consistently, like maybe we saw with the science penalty. For me, the big problem is consistency. I, I really struggle to understand why Logan Sargent didn't get a penalty for basically putting out Nick de Vries and ending his race but Carlos Sainz gets a penalty for contact with Alonso when essentially it didn't actually cause any damage to Alonso's race because the race was red flagged and reset from the previous lap and so Alonso suffered no ill consequences of the contact with Sainz and it would have been red flagged anyway because of the other crashes that happened so I don't understand, and for me it is, it's a, it's a fairness thing, I don't understand how that penalty could be given to one driver and not the other for what to me looks to be the same incident. Yeah, agreed, and like you say, Alonso didn't come off any worse for it because they essentially treated that lap like it didn't happen because they reinstated the order, so... Yeah, it just seems like a very odd one. And with the other contacts that happened as well, some people have criticised the fact that there was no penalty applied to Gasly with the Ocon Gasly crash and said that that was purely because it was an inter-team conflict and the FIA decided not to get involved. So yeah, there's just some question marks around that. And I think whenever a race ends with those kind of question marks and with people questioning the consistency of the application of the rules, then it's just really disheartening because we shouldn't have this on the top tier of motorsport. And unfortunately, it seems to happen more often than it doesn't in Formula 1 at the moment. Yes. We seem to have entered an era where it's not just about the racing anymore. It's about are the decisions that are made at the top level going to be applied consistently? And I don't think it puts the sport in a very good light. You don't watch a football match not knowing whether the team has actually committed a foul or you know needs a penalty I'm not a football person don't come at me <laughs> for my football lingo but you don't get that I think in any other sport where the rules are so consistently now applied in different ways and yeah. I, I, I just I don't really know how to get around it because we were now on another set of race directors from when the problem originally started so is it a race director problem or is it a race control problem is it just a stewarding problem is it there's too many people trying to apply the rules but they're all different you know the, the race stewards are different every race weekend is it their 
fault that the rules aren't being applied equally. I, mm. I just don't know. I don't know where it stops, really. As far as I'm concerned, it is the big issue facing F1 at the minute. I don't think there's anything that's more pressing than this. Because like you say, there's not another sport where anything like this takes place. And it's off-putting to new fans. It's confusing. And you get to the point where, I mean, having watched the race myself and seen the red flag incidents, I do think they were necessary for safety. But I can also understand the confusion and why... You've got almost this paranoia within certain parts of the F1 fan base that decisions are being made purely to orchestrate drama. And I don't think that was the case in the Australian Grand Prix. But I think that just indicates the level of chaos of the application of the rules and how penalties are being given out, that the fans don't understand it. And so therefore they're getting irritated and we're just not sure what we're seeing on the screen. It's, it's a level of distrust, isn't it? It's that fans can't trust that what they're watching on the screen. It's even a, a distrust that they can't predict and understand why a decision's been made. Yeah. But for me, you're, you're talking about the, the most pressing issues in Formula 1 at the moment. I think you are 100% correct that penalties and stewarding and rule application in Formula 1 is the most important. But I think the second most important is safety and... You're going to be annoyed at my beautiful segues again, but I think that the track invasion at the end of the Australian Grand Prix highlights that there is not enough going on for safety. There is no way people should have been allowed to be on the track while the race effectively was still underway. It doesn't matter to me that the race was under a safety car. Those cars are still doing 70 to 140, 50 miles an hour. If you hit one of them... That is not only traumatic for the driver and the team and everyone that sees it in person, it's traumatic for every single adult, child, individual who watches that race live, who's suddenly seen this horrific event and had no opportunity or no chance to not see it. I think it is a very selfish thing to invade a track like that and put yourself and other people in such massive Mm -hmm. danger. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's kind of two sides to that. Of One is the side of the fans taking responsibility and they were clearly being massively irresponsible. Why would you do that? Why would you go on a live circuit? But also there's the side of how were they actually allowed to do that and why was nothing in place to stop that from happening until the cars were stopped? Arguably, some people might say they shouldn't even get on the track after it's stopped. That's a different issue. But the actual live circuit fans on the track it's yeah it's so uncomfortable and dangerous so yeah they need to iron that out whether it's you know the FIA need to liaise with the Australian Grand Prix organizers and make sure that's not a thing going forward or just all of the circuits need to be on the same page about track safety what makes it worse for me is that it was in a weekend where the FIA said teams aren't allowed to hang over the safety barrier the catch fence on the last lap of a race to celebrate the win when really the safety problem wasn't coming from the teams hanging over the fence it's never been a problem it was from everyone else getting onto the track far too easily and I think I've seen too many cases in the last couple of years you know it almost seems now that after every race I'll go on Twitter or TikTok or Instagram and I'll see photos and videos of fans just ransacking the place after a race is finished like stealing DRS boards and marker boards and even the 
the digital like safety car boxes and stuff that tell drivers when like what flags they've got and everything. I, I don't really remember seeing any of that happen beforehand, but now it seems that at the end of every race, promoters and venues are just expected to lose half of their track signage to people just trying to carry it away and steal it. Yeah, it does feel massively disrespectful. And I think there's a whole conversation around sporting fan etiquette anyway in other sports as well. But it's interesting that you feel like it's got worse. I'm sure you've told me in the past that at the end of the race at Silverstone, you get a lot of fans going on the track and picking up pieces of rubber. And I actually think that's really wholesome in a way and things like that are nice. But then when you've got fans taking it too far and actually removing things from the track that they shouldn't be, that's really not on. And when you've got... I think it was something, it was hundreds of thousands of people in Australia at that race. How do you police that? I don't know. Mm. Is there enough security in the world to stop 130,000 people from stealing things if they want to? At that point, it's it's kind of a crowd too big, I think. No, I think it's left a lot of questions about safety and how tracks and race circuits should be managed going forward. I think it's definitely raised a lot of questions for the next Grand Prix and for the next Australian Grand Prix about track organisation, safety. But since we're not doing an Australia review, we'll move on. Round it up by giving you rating, Andrew. What? How did you rate the race overall, even with the red flags, everything considered? I tweeted mine live, which I'll try and do for all the races going forward. Right, I gave it an average of a 7 out of 10, which was bumped up by... I gave it a 9 out of 10 for watchability because I couldn't stop watching all the things that were happening, which doesn't necessarily mean that I enjoyed the things that were happening. I just couldn't stop watching it. So 7 out of 10 was my pretty boosted and, I think, too favourable rating. Yeah, interesting. It's not too far off mine. I guess I'd say I would give it about a 5 out of 10 for the reasons that I've already said. I don't like races. Um, I don't like to see a race finish as a kind of procession. And I don't like it when I don't understand the application and the reason behind the application of penalties so yeah five out of ten for me i really like the australian grand prix so i'm disappointed that i didn't enjoy it a bit more well you're talking about penalties brings us nicely into our main topic for this episode which is what on earth is going on with the new sprint format because i've been trying to wrap my head around it i know you have too i'm still not sure i'm there no i'm with you on that one. I think we both have very similar opinions. There's a lot to digest with it. It's completely new. It almost makes the sprint kind of its own event encased in the weekend, but sandwiched by events that affect the Grand Prix. And yeah, it's just a very weird one. So if you don't already know, the new sprint weekend format is on a Friday, there's free practice one and the qualification for the Sunday Grand Prix. On Saturday, we have like a sprint shootout, which is essentially qualifying for the sprint. And then that's followed by the sprint. And then on Sunday, we have the Grand Prix, which the drivers qualified for on the Friday. Are you following that? Because <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I did think there was problems with the old format for the sprint weekends. I, the way it used to be structured, where it was FP1 qualifying, FP2 the sprint and the race, I thought left no room for FP2. FP2 didn't make sense as a session to me where the cars were already in Park Fermi, you couldn't make any changes to the setup, and it was basically just waiting around for qualifying. So I understand why they did that, 
and I understand that the whole purpose of the sprint weekend is to spread the action out over more days. But to me, the whole point of the sprints was to make a new qualifying format for the races. And this, to me, if I am reading this right, because this has literally come out today as we are recording this, I think it moves away from that. And you are right, it makes sprint its own almost category within Formula One that has nothing to do with the rest of it. Now, where you place in a sprint race has no bearing on where you start in the Grand Prix because where you start in the Grand Prix is now determined on your Friday qualifying position rather than where you fought to get higher up in the sprint race to. Exactly. makes no sense to me at all. It totally defeats the object of a sprint in the first place or at least what the object of sprint qualifying was. But now sprint qualifying is something different. Mm. I completely agree with you that there were tweaks needed to the sprint format. But like you said, I, I was kind of expecting it to be something more basic, like the removal of FP2 or I don't know. It, it just feels like a complete overhaul that's almost defeated what I assume the original point of the sprint was. Because like you say, the sprint now has no bearing on Sunday. So we actually know the starting lineup for the Sunday Grand Prix on Friday now. So that makes, yeah, it's just a really strange one. I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around it, like you say. What F1 is saying is that because the sprint no longer has any bearing on Sunday, the drivers will be more incentivized to push in the sprint, which will make the sprint more of a spectacle, more enjoyable to watch. But I, I'm just not sure I agree with that. Yeah, to me... That means that there's less incentive to drive hard in the sprint because there's no point. Say if you are, I don't know, if you're ninth, so you're not going to score a point because it's only eight points downwards, one point each place from first to eighth. So if you're a ninth, you're going to score no points. Is it really worth now making a move to get into eighth where you're only going to score one point when you could destroy the car? Or even worse, to say actually, I want to go from 10th to 9th. There's no benefit to it now because you don't start higher up in the in the Grand Prix and you're not going to score a point for it anyway. So what's the point in trying? You might as well just protect the car, protect the position, and you already know where you're starting on Sunday. Exactly. Like, I know that drivers are super motivated to get maximum points across a race weekend, so I'm not saying that there's going to be no competition at all. But you could even argue that if you're in a battle in the sprint race for P1 and P2. If you're P2, how far are you going to push it to gain one point if it doesn't impact your starting position the next day? Because say you're racing along in P2 and you you fancy a go at P1, but you're in a corner and you're like, do I make the move, do I not? If you successfully make the move, you gain one point. If you crash out, you lose seven, say. But you don't then start on pole the next day for getting into P1. You still start wherever you qualified the day before so yeah I do think it sucks the energy out of the weekend a bit actually and I'm interested to see how it's going to play out this weekend. And I understand that the point was to make Friday more interesting for people at the track but I now think it makes it more confusing if you are a viewer and you're watching it on the television if you're at work on a Friday you've essentially missed qualifying and everything that happens on the Saturday now has no relevance to the rest of the weekend. Exactly, yeah. Then there's the argument that it takes the interest and intrigue out of Saturday because it's its own event. With no determination on anything else. Yeah, you could essentially be 
an F1 viewer and just follow Friday and Sunday and it would still all make sense. Like you, you actually don't need to see the Saturday content. And there's a, a few other strange little things that they've added in there as well. So for the first qualifying session, which I'll call Grand Prix qualifying on the Friday, you can choose any tyre compound out of the allocation that you have for the weekend, which I believe still stands at 13 sets for the weekend. Might be a little bit wrong on that. I'm pretty sure it's still 13 sets. But in the sprint qualifying on the Saturday, you are given mandatory tyre sets, which is now a medium set for Q1, a medium set for Q2, and a soft set for Q3, which to me, I find to be against the point of Formula One is that everyone can make their own choice and it's a gamble sometimes on what tyre you take. Yeah, I, I just don't get it, especially now the Q2 rule is gone where you don't have to start the race on the tyre that you started with and thank God that rule is gone because I have no idea how that would compete with a sprint weekend. It just doesn't seem to make much sense to me that it's mandatory tyres. The whole great thing to me was that people might have tried to get through Q2 on a set of mediums to save a set of softs for Q3, but there's none of that strategy anymore. It's all just decided for them. This is just speculation because, like you said, this has just come out today and we're still figuring it out. But it's almost like they've just got to get through those sets of tyres. So they've thought, right, let's make it mandatory to use mediums in Q1 and Q2. And we can't, you know, they can't have like, they can't have two qualifiers where the teams just use sets of soft in every session because then they'd have like six sets of softs gone through just from quali at least i i think if if the whole point of qualifying is that you want to see or you want to put on a show of the best drivers driving the fastest cars as fast as possible then if you're gonna force them to have a tire force them all to have the soft tire yeah it's almost like f1 don't want to admit that it's a second qualifying session because they're calling it sprint shootout but then it's funny because in their explainer on instagram they've then called the sprint shootout sessions q1 q2 and q3 so it we all know it's two lots of quality but are they just adding the mediums in there so that they can say well there's a different element because the drivers have the challenge of setting the fastest times on the medium rather than the soft we don't know it's all just very confusing and it gets even more confusing when you start to look at how any penalties will be applied across the weekend. Me and Andrew have just been trying to work this out before the podcast and it's honestly a minefield. So what F1 have said is any grid penalties incurred in practice one or Friday qualifying will apply to the race on Sunday. Any penalties incurred in sprint shootout or sprint quali, if you want to call it that, will apply to the sprint race later on the same day. Any penalties incurred in the sprint race will apply to Sunday. Oh, God, that you saying that has just broken my brain again. The The problem that I have with this is that it, Park Fermi, as we understand it now, we might have more information as the, as the weekend goes on. Park Fermi, which to anyone that doesn't know is... Uh, at, the, at the start of qualifying, as soon as you leave the garage, your car cannot be changed. I think you're allowed to change the front wing downforce level and, uh, and the tyre pressures, and that's effectively it. Maybe a couple of other little bits here and there, but major things like suspension geometry or um, 
ride heights, things like that, you aren't allowed to change at all. Yeah, I think part Fermi applies during Friday quality because that's qualification for Sunday. So I think it applies as it usually would from that session. So, yeah, it's just super complicated and we're really struggling to understand this and we'd call ourselves you know pretty avid f1 fans so if you're a new fan what hope do you have of understanding this format and not only that sprints were introduced last year and now they're already tinkering with the format if you the whole point of sprint weekends was to just to get casual viewers in who didn't want to spend two hours watching a full grand prix into racing by giving them a 40 minute grand prix to watch but now all of those rules are different none of it is the same as it was so if you enjoyed it last season you're going to come back now and none of it will make sense to you because it's all different there's no consistency again and also i think one of the things that one of the issues i had with the original sprint format from last year was that essentially you'd have qualifying and then the drivers would do the sprint race and in that time they'd kind of a lot of them would get the overtakes done that they would have had to do on grand prix sunday but they were doing it in the sprint race instead so they were almost getting a jump and then that made grand prix sunday a bit boring because the drivers had even themselves out they'd got back to where they usually would be by the end of a race and then there wasn't as much overtaking on the main race so I understood that they maybe wanted to revisit the format and tweak it but this isn't a tweak it's a complete change and I kind of wonder if the issue is that they're so focused on creating a spectacle and making it watchable and interesting for the fans and there's going to be an element of that with any sport because sports don't make money and can't continue if they're not entertaining to watch understandably but what other sport builds its own rules around whether the fans are entertained and whether it's keeping the fans gripped enough i agree i think the balance is the wrong way around we've gone from sport first spectacle second to spectacle first sport second which to me makes no sense and is the wrong way around at the end of the day motorsport is a sport the sport should come first and people will come to that naturally because they enjoy it if you try to artificially make it so that people will enjoy it more that takes it away it might make it slightly better for some casual fans but you risk alienating too many long-term fans that are the ones that are paying the subscriptions to all the now you know pay to watch services that you have to watch f1 on especially in the UK, yeah, it, it just seems very risky to me. And even in the last decade of watching F1, which is my journey of watching Formula 1, this isn't the first time they've messed with qualifying. I remember a good few years ago now when they trialled elimination qualifying, and it was horrendous. It was not thought out at all. No one understood it, and it was binned after two races, I feel like the teams have committed more now to this than they did to that system. But my biggest problem is that it wasn't broken. Qualifying worked, right? Even if you wanted something else for the Saturday, the qualifying system 
worked. And it just seems to be a case of there's so many other things in Formula 1 that, as we said earlier, do need attention and need fixing, but so much of the attention just seems to be on the things that people didn't have a problem with anyway. Yeah, I agree that I actually don't think the qualifying system is broken. I'm not necessarily opposed to sprint races. I did enjoy some of them last year, but like I said, I did think they needed a bit of iron out. But the qualifying system does seem to work. I mean, you only have to look back literally to the last race weekend where we had the kind of shock element of Perez going off in Q1 and he was going to have to start from the back and the drivers get this pressured session to get in their fast lap and it could make or break their race weekend for them and I think that in itself is is drama enough we don't need to orchestrate or alter the format to try and lead to more dramatic outcomes so if it wasn't for all the red flags I mean Perez had a great race last time out but I thought that was interesting in itself that was an interesting outcome to quality you had one of the well the fastest car on the grid right at the back but then you've got f1 kind of treating it like well qualifying isn't enough the way it is and we've got to do these sprints to keep it interesting and to keep the fans gripped it's it's the same problem to me as the new street circuits they in my opinion will have a few years of popularity i'm pretty convinced this is how vegas and miami will go They'll have a few years of major interest. The viewership will die at death and everyone's going to go, well, why is that? And I think the same is going to happen to sprints. It's the new thing at the moment. As soon as it becomes normal and it always happens, people are going to go, oh, well, I'm, I'm bored with it now. What's the point? And then F1 will go, oh, well, we'll change it all again. We are still getting our heads around this. It is an evolving, changing situation at the moment. You know, it's at the moment less than a week to the race with a sprint in it, and they've only just agreed on the rule changes. They sneaked a little change in there as well that I think they were kind of hoping people would miss or didn't really want to shout about too much, which is them adding in a new power unit element to the season without any indication as to why. Like, the teams knew that we were going to get six sprint races, so surely the engines were designed to accomplish that mileage anyway. So have I, I wonder if... The teams have agreed to this new sprint system and their payment back or their reward for agreeing and going along with the FIA was to maybe have this little sneaked in new power unit element. I remember the commentary team mentioning it a couple of races ago that there was some kind of undercurrent talks about whether there needed to be more power unit elements allowed for the season due to the amount of races and the amount of strain on them that the current allocation wasn't enough but I think you raise a good point that they were told at the start of the season this is how many races this is how many events rough mileage that the power units are going to have to get through and teams surely will have designed around that because they won't have known for certain that there would have been any changes or any additional components allowed midway through the season so yeah it does penalize the teams that have built durable power units because now all the other teams are just going to be allowed extra components. Especially when last year, a lot of the engine manufacturers decided to go for pure performance over reliability because the engines were frozen from the start of last season. So if you, apart from reliability fixes, so if you put 
crazy amounts of performance in your engine, but it blew up all the time, it didn't really matter. You might sacrifice your 2022 season fixing the reliability issues, like Alpine almost did with, the, I think it was a water pump problem they kept having on the engine side that kept causing Alonso problems last year. Now, it's not a problem. You've got away with maybe having less reliability because you've just been given an extra like an extra element to put in your pool. So whatever concerns you did have are now alleviated. And if you've maybe had an engine blow up recently, not pointing any fingers, but if you've had an engine blow up recently, which some of the teams have, you now have much less of an issue later on in the season and might not need that penalty that was almost certainly coming your way because you've got new units. And essentially, if that was your first engine of the season, you've got your full season allocation four races in. I think it's definitely no secret that the top teams lobby F1 for these kind of things and these kind of changes. So it'll be interesting actually to see if any of the teams come out and complain about this and say it's unfair or whether they are all on board with it. Don't know yet. Have to see. But it makes me think back to the start of the season when the teams were complaining about the weight regulation and you had Alfa Romeo who had done this amazing job at building a car that was light enough and it was super light I remember the commentary team were all banging on about how light it was compared to the competitors and then you had the top teams going oh these weight regulations are so unrealistic like we can't hit that weight it's too unrealistic but then to change that is punishing the teams that have built their car to those regulations and done a really good job of it like Alfa Romeo. Well, I'll give you another example of, of exactly what you've just said there. Last year, we had Porpoison. Big problem, cars bouncing up and down. But Alpine recognised that to stop the Porpoison, you needed to make a strong underfloor and diffuser and side skirt area. And so they produced, for the first few races of the season, a stronger under tray. The rest of the teams, well, they didn't. They had a floor that bent and caused them porpoising and caused them all kinds of issues. And so in testing, before the season started, they said to the FIA, look, we haven't predicted this. Can we run some floor stays, which were little metal connecting pins that went from the chassis or the back end of the car to the floor and stopped it from flexing as much at the edges. And the FIA said, yep, you can use them for testing, but when it comes to the start of the season, they're gone. Lo and behold, by the start of the season, the teams that had a weaker floor had realised that, actually, this helps us a lot to have the floor stays, um, so we're going to lobby the FIA and ask to keep them. And the FIA said, yeah, okay then. At which point Alpine were going, hold on a minute, we're the only ones that managed to predict that, or one of the only ones that managed to predict that this new generation of cars would require a stiffer floor so now we've got a floor that's too stiff because if we run the, the stays which we will if everyone else is we don't need the heavy floor anymore so we've wasted development time there because you've suddenly changed the rules at very literally the last second before the start of the season to say you're allowed to run floor stays now which basically meant that anyone who's designed the car wrong got away with it yeah, that doesn't sit right at all, does it? I think it almost, for me, it raises the question, should mid-season regulation changes like this be allowed? And I'm not talking anything safety-related or anything like that, or even if all 10 of the teams agree, no, none of us predicted this would happen, we need a change, 
then that's a different kettle of fish. But if you've got even one team saying, hang on, we predicted this issue and we built our car around it. And now you're saying that you're going to reverse that regulation. That's just not fair. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think the answer is no, because you've, you've excluded safety. If a change needs to be made for a safety reason, that should be made during the season. If a change just needs to be made or wants to be made by the teams or the FIA, my answer would be no. It should wait until the next season and there should be a list of things that need changing and it should be, this is your rule book for the season. If you, by some means, find a way to exploit the rules of this season, then we very well, very well may close that loophole for the next season, which I would say the FIA did with Mercedes's DAS system, the dual axis steering, they said, it's legal, it's not what we intended, but it is legal, you can run it for a year and then we'll close that loophole. I think that's the perfect way to go. All the way through the season, any advantage that you get by finding the loopholes, which is what Formula One's about, is finding loopholes in the rules, as much as people think it might be about racing, the large majority of F1 is about finding loopholes in regulations. To change rules within the season, I think is bad for the fans because my perfect example of this is track limits. Before the rule changed to say that the limits of the track were the white lines, every race weekend the rules were different. It was some corners, some tracks had no track limits at all, some uh, tracks had track limits everywhere, some of them were policed heavier than others, some of them it was all four wheels, some of them it was not. It was a mess and no one could keep up with it. I would watch Formula One races with people and they'd say, but they're off the track there, how come they got penalised for that last week? And I'd go, what a fantastic question, I'd love to know the answer. Rule changes during the season don't work for me. Do it all at the end of the season, get it ready for next year. There you go, me and Andrew have come up with a new system there. No mid-season rule changes unless they offer safety or the teams come to a unanimous decision. That's how I see it. I think that makes perfect sense and I don't understand why it's not like that anyway. I'm petitioning for our immediate ruling of all things Formula 1 and motorsport. <laughs> we will immediately be instated as head of the FIA, joint heads of the FIA. Oh, watch our kingdom develop. <laughs> I actually think that's such a solid proposal, though. Because, yeah, if, if you've got a unanimous decision, then all the teams are happy, F1's happy, happy days. But if you've got even one team that says, no, we built our car with that in mind, that would be detrimental to us, then no, sorry, you'll have to wait till next season for any changes like that. It, it would almost, and I am almost scared to say the words, it would almost seem like common sense, which for all the intelligence and money in Formula 1, sometimes seems to be the thing that is missing most. Common sense and just no unnecessary complexities. I wish there was a bit more of that in F1. Well, we can only hope, but for now, we'll park sprint racing and our grievances with whatever our interpretation we've managed to come up with so far, and we'll start to take a look ahead to the future on a hopefully more positive note, and our thoughts for round four the Formula One World Championship at Baku. Yeah, well, I feel like it does still kind of link to the sprint thing because I suppose we don't know how that's going to impact the weekend. I would predict that the Saturday is not 
going to be anywhere near close to the main event, which I suppose is the point in a way. But yeah, I think it's going to be much the same. My prediction would be Verstappen dominates, closely followed by Perez, uh, as long as he doesn't make a mistake, because really he should be coming second at least in that car. And then I think the real interest is going to come from the midfield battle and who's going to be up there on the podium with those two guys. Is it going to be Mercedes or Ferrari or Aston Martin? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think I think it's around this race, might be this race or it might be the next one in Imola, where the teams are starting to bring their first major or major-ish upgrade packages of the season. So it'll be interesting to see who can really make that jump or if anyone really does uh you know i I really think it's going to be interesting i want to see if aston martin brings a a a real low downforce wing which i think they've sort of been a rear wing which i think they've been missing over the last couple of races to see if they can close that gap to red bull a little bit um, or even just sort of maybe stretch that advantage out over mercedes i mean it's quite a it's quite a circuit it's six kilometers long which is for people who use normal methods of distance 3.7 miles normal everyone else is unnormal and the main straight alone is 2.2 kilometers which is a long way so drs i think is going to be very very powerful this weekend well yeah like you say the straight is basically a third of the entire track, well, more than a third of the entire track. So DRS is definitely going to come into play and that just improves the likelihood of pure Red Bull dominance given how good their DRS system is. So, yeah, really the battle in the midfield could be determined by straight line speed and DRS effectiveness. Yeah, and I think I'd like to see whether this holds up still, but the actual, it's now the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, I think the first race they had in 2016 was the European Grand Prix, but I'll just it all counts on the same thing. It's only been won twice from pole position, and we've actually had some really, really interesting races there. You know, last year Max won. That was a pretty. It was going to happen. We knew it. Um, but the year before, Perez won on a crazy race where Sebastian Vettel was on the podium and Lewis Hamilton locked up. We had the brake magic on. And we had the tyre blowouts, didn't we, for Verstappen and was it Stroll? Yes. Uh, yes, I forgot about that, actually. Yeah, and they, they span out at, well, that main straight, your top speed is 217 miles an hour. He would have been very close to that, Verstappen, by the time he spun out because it was where the, the start line was, roughly. So he must have been getting towards that maximum speed when that tyre burst. Definitely. Yeah, I do think Baku's a really good race. I I love the castle section. It'll be a good one, I think, especially with how Aston are performing. There's there's a real buzz in that team, like we said in the last podcast. And Alonso in particular seems to feel, I think he said this week, that they're a year ahead of schedule in terms of their development. He didn't expect them to be this competitive this year. He was hoping they would be at this point in 2024. So if they keep building on that, then they should be on for a lot more podiums this year. I can't see any reason why he wouldn't be in contention for P3 at least. And you never know what goes on at the front, if there's going to be any mistakes or like we saw in qualifying for Australia. You never know. I, I do think it's amazing as well that Aston have done all this 
still in the old factory, using the old facilities, using the old tools. They're, I don't think they're supposed to move into the new factory until halfway through this season. So to be able to accomplish all that with your old tools, I think shows that team hasn't lost what made it special when it was Racing Point and Force India. Yeah, the it's such a promising outlook for them if they're getting these brand new facilities and tools to hand very soon. You can't see any reason why they wouldn't carry on on an upward trajectory. They seem to have a really good team. Which I'm not sure I can say for some of the other teams on the grid. I am genuinely concerned for McLaren at the moment. Big restructure, a lot of money being spent on that team. I really think they need to start seeing the effects of that. And whatever upgrades they bring to this car need to parachute it up the grid very quickly. Yeah, I think they had an extremely lucky timeout last time. There was eight DNFs in Australia, which for me is the main reason that they were in the points and as high up as they were. Don't get me wrong, they had good races, Norris and Piastri, but it's uh, they've even said themselves, haven't they, that they're not really expecting to be that competitive until, is it race five? And so far, it's just been dire to watch them. They are just on a downward spiral. Yeah, it it, it must be so painful to, to, one, be Lando, who has committed his future to that team and said, I believe in this project, for it to keep feeling like it's going backwards. And it must be hard for Piastri, who, you have to say, kind of must be wishing they'd pick the Alpine right now. Well, if I was him, I would definitely wish I'd pick the Alpine. It's looking a lot faster than the McLaren. Well, I think to round out where we are in the championship at the moment, we'll just have a quick look at the championship, maybe the top three. So we've currently got Red Bull racing on 123 points with three wins and five podiums. You haven't moved. In second place, we've got Aston Martin Aramco Cognizant, which is in second place with 65 points and three podiums and they haven't moved position and bringing up the rear of that top three is mercedes amg petronas with 56 points and one podium and they haven't moved position in some ways i just look at that top three and one i think what a crazy world we live in when aston martin are above mercedes in the standings but also based on last year how on earth have Mercedes got more than double the points of Ferrari right now? Do you know what? I actually totally forgot about Ferrari. <laughs> Last year, I was very happy for them. I'm not a massive. I'm not a massive any team fan. I would consider myself a fan of Formula One rather than of a specific team. It was nice to see Ferrari challenging last year, even if they did throw it away. This year it does seem to sort of be back to business as usual for Ferrari, doesn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's just not looking good for them. I mean, you say about McLaren on this downward spiral, but Ferrari, in a way, are a bigger shock because of how well they were doing last year and they looked at the start of the year to be the championship contenders and now they're down in fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Obviously, there's a long way to go yet, but even so, I think 26 points after you know, three races, it's not cheery. It must have been shocking to both drivers to go from what was very arguably the fastest car 
of the last season, 2022, to suddenly be just so far off again. Those two must really have a, a bit of a battle going on this year. You know, I'm, I'm sure they both went into this season preparing themselves for a championship battle and then suddenly find themselves in a very, very busy midfield. The psychology of that must be really challenging on top of everything else you've got going on as an F1 driver. And when you look at the drivers themselves and where they're in in the drivers' championship, you've got Sainz in P5 and you've got Leclerc down in P10 and that just that would have just been unimaginable to me last year. And yet I still see things of like, oh, Leclerc is clearly the number one driver and so much better than Sainz. I, I've told you this before, Beth, I'll tell anyone that wants to listen, I genuinely rate Carlos Sainz. I don't know if he has uh, Alonso, Verstappen, Hamilton-ness about him. I think he is Nico Hülkenberg plus, where every race he will solidly score you very good points. And when he needs to collect the win, he can. Well, I just don't think people rate him as much as they do as they should do. Yeah, I think he's massively underrated. His performances at McLaren, his performances now at Ferrari, and even going back to his days in Toro Rosso and stuff, I think he's got massive potential. Unfortunately, I just think Luck's not been on his side this year. And last year, you could say the same, really. He obviously had engine issues in races where he was on for good results and things like that that impacted his points so yeah definitely an underrated driver as far as i'm concerned well anyway we've talked a lot about formula one this this episode as we always will but there are plenty of other categories that you can enjoy over the next couple of weeks it's a big big time of the year for racing in general so coming up in the next couple of weeks you've got formula two round four at baku the formula two has followed the f1 around every race so far this season and continues to do so this weekend in Baku. Moving into the World Endurance Championship this weekend, you've got the six hours of Spa, 29th of April, which is the last race before the big one, the 24 hours of Le Mans. Then in IndyCar, we've got the Children's of Alabama Indy Grand Prix on the 30th, which leads up to the month of May before the 107th running of the Indy 500. Formula E races in Monaco for round nine of its championship on the 6th of May. And finally, the F1 Academy gets started in Austria this weekend for its first race weekend ever. It has one race on this season's Formula 1 Sport Series calendar before next season becoming a permanent fixture for all of its races as an F1 support race. So we're waiting to find out how we can watch that, but rest assured, we'll be watching it with wide eyes. Loads going on in the world of motorsport in the next few weeks. So that's it from us for this episode. Thank you for listening to episode two of Track Chat with Beth Ennis and Andrew Norris. Follow us on social media to get our reaction to the next race. We are track underscore chat on Instagram or at track chat tweets on Twitter. There will be lots more content going on that soon, so do keep an eye on it. And keep an eye out for the next episode, which will be with you before the next race weekend.